Today's episode is brought to you by Slate House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me, as always, is my best friend, my partner in life and crime, and now in podcasting, Caitlin. Hello, hello. So good to see you after this day. Did you miss me today? I missed you a lot today, yeah. You were at home with Doug? I was at home with Doug. It was, uh, it was a slow day, to, to be honest. I did, I did, you know, I did a little bit of work, did a little bit of reading, did a lot of drinking water. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I did a lot of drinking. I'm like, babe. And that would be an interesting day. That's why you didn't feel good today. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got sloppy at like 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, um, it, was just a, it was just a day that I missed you. That's all. I missed you and Doug too. Yeah. Did you cuddle? Uh, we did. Yeah, we did a lot of cuddling. Our dog is just the cuddliest dog. I, I've i never met a dog just as aggressively cuddly sometimes. Like sometimes when she wants a hug, she's getting a hug. Mm-hmm. She's like not when gonna... you come home. <laughs> yes. She won't leave you alone until you She won't her. stop until you get, you get that hug. Yeah. Hey, we got some news. I hope you have news because I don't have any news. Well, I – okay – I have some news. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us with the news. Yeah, we've had a lot of really interesting releases. Um, we're kind of reaching into that spot of the year when a lot of publishing is starting to happen, and we're going to see some really big stuff come out over the summer. Um, just recently, we had Black Echoes by J.B. McLaurin come out from Slayhouse.com. This is a pretty, <laughs> pretty dark horror um, about some addiction, some serial killers. It's a pretty wild book, uh, gorgeous cover. Um, you can find that online at slayhouse.com. We also have right around the corner, we are putting the final touches on The Cartography Door by Sean Edwards. This is another of the uh, kind of line of genre mashing that Slayhouse seems to do. A um, little bit of dark fantasy, a little bit of horror here um, about a girl who I think uh, can kind of see into uh, alternate universes or something like that. Um, she travels through these weird portals or something and uh, and there's something that comes after her that kind of wants to unlock these worlds or whatever. Um yeah, sounds like a pretty interesting, pretty weird little book, uh, but that's right around the corner from slayhouse.com. Uh, you can pre-order it now, and who knows, um, by the time you actually listen to this, it might actually be out and available for purchase. We also have two anthologies that are currently accepting submissions, uh, Tales of Slayhouse 2023 and Tales of the Slay Siblings. If you want information, you can find that on slayhouse.com. Um, but yeah, lots of interesting stuff. We started sending out uh, acceptance letters for Tales of Slayhouse 2023 uh, this last week, and apparently that's going really well. Um, 
kudos to the team that's working on that book. I think it's going to be a really cool anthology like those anthologies usually are. But uh, that's that's the big news from Slayhouse. There were a number of other releases that recently came out or are just ahead on the horizon that I kind of wanted to point out. Uh, Lingoon by Ai Jung came out April 4th from Dark Matter. This is a kind of haunted house style story um, already making waves. The reviews that have been pouring in are amazingly positive. Uh, the Scores Between Stars by Ness Brown also came out April 4th from Nightfire. This is a space uh, horror book about um, uh, a ship that is uh, invaded by aliens. Um, it's a pretty cool book. I'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, Paradise One is another space horror by David Wellington that came out April 4th from Orbit. Um, this is like a 600-pager. <laughs> it's it's massive. It's so big. Um, but if that's your if that's your jam, if you like really you know door stops about uh, space horror, then we like know, big books. Yeah, we like big books, and we cannot lie. Yep. Yeah. Nightfall and Other Dangers by Jacob Stephen Moore also came out April 7th. Jacob Stephen Moore uh, is one of our Slayhouse comrades. He wrote a short piece for Tales of Slayhouse 2022. And uh, I got to say, his stuff is really on point. So this is a collection of his short fiction, and I highly recommend his work. Uh, Dark Matter Presents Monstrous Futures, edited by Alex Woodrow, is due out April 18th from Dark Matter. This is the second in that series of collections that Dark Matter is putting out. Their first one was nominated for a Stoker Award. And I just think you got to keep your eyes on these anthologies because they are full of incredibly talented writers with some really excellent stories. And um, this one is kind of a sci-fi, you know, kind of horror future uh, kind of collection. And I think that's going to be a really exciting one uh, with all of the talent packed behind that book. Then uh, the same day, The Haunting of Alejandra comes out from V. Castro uh, from Del Rey. This is a fantastic book. I talked about it um, a couple weeks back on the show. Um, she recently had an interview with uh, Agatha Andrews over on this She Wore Black podcast. And it's definitely one of those uh, really special interviews where V. Castro kind of talks about um, a lot of the the thoughts that she had in crafting the book and uh, the questions that she poses through her art. It's a fantastic interview, honestly. Um, one of my favorites from that show for sure. Uh, so go check that out. You can find the She Wore Black podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. And uh, her conversations are always just fantastic. And then after you listen to it, if you want, you can grab the book April 18th. That's pretty cool. And then April 22nd, Even the Worm Will Turn by Haley Piper comes out from Off Limits Press. This is a sequel to um, The Worm and His Kings, I think, is the title. Um, it's a novella, I believe, also from Off Limits Press. Um, 
that is a kind of the cosmic horror with uh, coupled with kind of some trans issues in there. It's a great little read. Um, certainly one that you can you know finish in like an afternoon, and uh, pretty spicy stuff. This this next. Uh, sequel is going to be the second, I think, of three books that she's got um, in this series. So definitely go check that out April 22nd. Okay, so our topic, news topic of the day um, is, of course, the remake of Harry Potter that was just announced uh, by HBO. They are creating a television series that they hope are going to cover all seven of the novels uh, kind of as a remake for a new generation of Harry Potter readers and viewers. And I want to pitch it to you because this is a hotly contested topic right now in the internet. I kind of want to hear from you what your reaction is to a Harry Potter reboot. What the fuck? <laughs> the first time hearing of this. Uh, yeah, no, this is the big thing uh, because you know uh, apparently, like, gosh, this is such a loaded topic. Time Warner or Warner Brothers, right? That owns uh, HBO and they own. Um, Didn't Time Warner? They own Warner Brothers. Make the movies. Warner Brothers made the movies, yeah. They have the license to Harry Potter. They also just made that Hogwarts Legacy game on the PlayStation and all that jazz. Um, they 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 own the licensing for Harry Potter, right? And Warner Brothers is is in pretty dire financial straits right now. Like they're 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 burning ships to try to <laughs> save on the tax money, you know, kind of recover some some costs here. Uh, because they've had just a string of like bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of movies that have uh, launched and, and come out that have done incredibly poorly, like uh, Black Adam. That was the most recent one. Shazam bombed in the box office. Um, they're just not able to compete at so all. So you think the the answer to that problem is to remake the greatest well, movie franchise? Of our generation, yeah. I mean, uh, the the yeah to make the money from it into a shitty TV Cause if, show. If you think about those movies and how much money those movies made, uh, it's just exploded. You know, like they made so much money, they they topped revenue. Um, Why not just put them back in the damn movie theaters for a week? Well, I don't know. And this this brings me to the reason why it's in this cultural moment, right? And why I think that Harry Potter is not the play. Because undoubtedly there are, you know, millions and millions of people who love Harry Potter. But J.K. Rowling has come out as a mask off turf and has just been spreading about every vile thing she can say about trans people. Uh just just mask off. She's she's gone full tilt. Let's exterminate trans people, right? Through mm-hmm. her rhetoric. And as a result, she's lost a lot of fervor or a lot of favor in the millennial and Gen Z crowd. Now, I am not saying that you know, Harry Potter isn't still hot. Like Hogwarts Legacy, I think broke sales records for uh its release when it just came out, you know, this video game. And that was in spite of a whole lot of people who were, you know, calling out 
<laughs> don't buy this because you know this money is supporting someone who is um, uh, like who hates trans people. You know, a very vocal person who has a very large platform who's going full fascist with her rhetoric, and so you know she's she's lost some favor there, but not nearly enough favor to stem the tide of people who are just clamoring for more Harry Potter. Now her whole weird uh, Fantastic Beasts franchise, right? That has flopped pretty majorly. Like nobody went to see that Secrets of Dumbledore or whatever yeah. the, the last movie was. Nobody went to see that movie. And so there's there's also some question of like, you know, how how much is this brand really worth? And Warner Brothers is like, well, we're starved for something. We need a smash hit. We need somebody or something that's going to bring in a whole bunch of viewers. So they think that a remake is going to do it. And I think J.K. Rowling is really on board for it, too, because a lot of the cast of the movie, especially the, the kids, you know, the children's cast that has come through. Um, they have grown up and realize how terrible J.K. Rowling is and have very publicly disowned it, right? They've all kind of moved on beyond their Harry Potter years. And so um, I I think that, you know, J.K. Rowling is really looking forward to this new series is like, well, I'm going to grab some new people, some new voices that I can influence, Right. Yeah. Um, at that, that you know, aren't going to resist the things that I want, which is you know, exterminate trans people. It's terrible. Yes. So there's a you know, this is a hot topic right now. There's, it's like number one, those movies are not that old. No. You know, they're not. They're really maybe a decade old at this point. <sighs> Come on, do we need? Do we need to reboot them? No. Do we need that? Is that anything anyone was asking for? No. Moreover, what are you signing up for these kids, right? Because you're going to have to get kid actors and you're going to have to put those kid actors through however many episodes of this show for seven straight years or whatever for this for this to film these books. Like what kind of childhood are they going to have? And And in a moment when... People will drive – they'll bully a Star Wars actress for, for just for her portrayal of a character. They will bully her to the point of suicide or they'll bully her off social media uh, for no reason whatsoever. Like this is, this is the reality. There are some terrible people out there and, and forgive me but I don't think Harry Potter fans are the best fans. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just being real. Are Harry Potter fans really, like, the most uh, uh, accommodating, the most accepting fan base? No, and I think they're they're pretty loyal to the original cast. Oh, yeah, extremely I loyal. I think right. that this show is probably going to flop. They're going to get well, so much criticism. And what's funny is e- even... Even the people who were loyal to this cast now post pictures of um, what's her face of of uh, Emma Watson and Watson. Yeah, they'll post pictures of her, or they'll post pictures of the the gal who played Ginny Weasley, and they'll be like, "Oh, look, they're hags now. They they look like beautiful thirty year old people." Yeah, and, I, and I'm just like, 
And he posts these pictures of them to make them appear like they're just these hags. What are you talking about? They're beautiful 30-year-olds. I just what are you what's what is happening? But they're brutal. They're ferocious. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I see it going <laughs> two ways, right? One is like uh, they they have these kids come in and they compare them to the original cast and they shit all over them so bad that these kids are scarred for life. Which I think is how it's going to go. But I, I think that's going to ha- be how it goes. But what's option two? Uh, option two is that, uh, I mean, they, they uh, uh, just like tank the entire brand. Like the toxicity just, I, th- I think, uh, sinks the whole of Harry Potter. I don't know. I think it does so shitty they don't get renewed for a season. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, this is going to be a, a, a financial failure. Right. They're going to push and push and push for this to happen and be like, look, we're we're doing it. This is the thing. And every casting call is going to be a a resurgence of angry people who are just terrible to one another. Like I I feel like at every stage this is just going to be like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then it's going to come out and nobody's going to care. Nobody cares. It's going to take. Who watches HBO? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just – I think that it's a bad – it's bad all around. And it's especially bad because it's – it's again, it's trying to take this woman with a terrible legacy, a terrible legacy, and try to like rehabilitate her for a new audience. Yeah. Just – it's not good. No. I, 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 I just – I don't know. I scratch my head at this decision. I'm like, what is happening? I don't, and, you know, do we not have any other media franchise we could adapt by now? What about Fable Haven? As far as I know, that's not transphobic. Yeah. Like, what, like how is it that we've missed out on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's got to be something else that you can adapt if you're really just that, that cash strapped or whatever. And this is not going to be a cheap you know, series like it's going to be an expensive one. And I feel like it's coming in a weird moment, too, when, you know, like Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings was adapted by um, Amazon for for their prime channel or whatever. And everyone hated that. Everyone hated it. Only like 34 percent of viewers actually finished the first season of the Rings of Power. Like this just couldn't have come at a worse time. You know, like with all the trans stuff going on right now. Oh, especially. Why give that woman even more of a platform than ever? You know, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like like we've done this. We're we're done. We're over it. We had Harry Potter fever, and uh, and now you know we're older. Time has passed. We're we're allowed to move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine like we, being caught. we struck gold with Harry Potter the first go round. I mean, I've, it's not going to happen. Again. I feel like they were fun movies, and, and don't get me wrong, they were fun movies, and and I enjoyed the books uh, when I was younger. Before I knew that, you know, she was such a monster, and now it's like she's so clearly a monster. I don't, I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't need it. I have my fond memories. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I just. And what are you what are you going to give me in a new adaptation that I didn't already get the other way around? Nothing. 
you know, the first the first time through, I was I was kind of like, I don't know, do I really? Uh, am I fond of these movies? Because I thought that the movies were, you know, they the, always the, change shit in the movies. They too. changed shit from the books that I felt like. I don't know why that was changed. And then in retrospect, I'm like, oh, man. But if you try to read those books now, they're incoherent. Like there's so much of those books that are just badly plotted, badly written, badly conceived. And the stuff that they left on the cutting room floor for those movies deserved to be left behind. Let's be real. I kind of have this hot take. And this is a spicy, spicy take. You ready? Mm -hmm. I don't think any book over 400 pages is any good. (gasps) <gasps> that's a I know. You bite your tongue. That's a that's a spicy hot take. I just I feel like there's a reason why things should get cut out of books. And I look at like I look at it, right, by Stephen King. This book is a thousand pages long and, and concludes in a child orgy. You're telling me that couldn't have been cut? Do you know how many of my smut books are over four hundred pages and I wouldn't change it? For anything. Oh, well, you know what? You're you're fine to push back, Caitlin. You're fine to push back. I can take it. I mean, hell, the last book that I read that I'm about to tell you about was almost 600 pages. I mean, tell me how – tell me I'm wrong. You're tell, wrong. Tell me how I'm wrong. You're wrong. The longer, the better. You're so attractive right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know. I just, I scratch my head sometimes when I read these uh, big, huge, crazy, long books, and I'm like, you couldn't have cut anything in here. I don't know. Maybe I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure there are books that I've read that are over 400 pages that are like phenomenal. They're fantastic books, but I don't know. I, Harry Potter isn't one of them. Well, let's just leave it that at Harry Potter. Yeah. We get to like six or seven hundred pages. I'm like, this doesn't need to be here. None of this needed to be here. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So that's the news. Uh, hey, what you been reading? What have I been reading? Okay, so like I just mentioned, just read a smut book that was almost six hundred pages. That's a lot of smut. What's the what would you say is the story to smut ratio there? Oh, it had good plot. Oh, okay. Yeah. It wasn't just like it, – it's not just – I guess like in a smut book, it would kind of get boring if it were just like porn all the time, right? Yeah, it would get boring. You, like you have to have compelling characters and, and like a really good plot in order to feel invested. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good ratio. I can't – on the spot, can't think of what the ratio was, but it was good. Do you feel like you, you prefer more story to less smut or do you feel like you prefer more smut to, to less story? It has to be pretty even. Oh, okay. I mean, it has to... I don't know. It has to be pretty evened out. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do some action and then we're going to do some action. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and that that tends to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, actually, my last two books were like that. Oh, okay. So the one that I just finished like two days ago was The Sacrifice by Chantel Tessier. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You, yeah, on. you were very excited about that. Yep. I read that in two days. Wow. That is a fast, fast sprint. Yeah. That was one of my dark romances, as you remember. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Very dark. What's What's the plot of that one? 
So that was the one I told you. Um, there was the the last one before that was the center. Oh, the ritual. It starts with the ritual, then it was the center, and now it's the sacrifice. They're all they all tell different stories of um, guys that go to this university where they are put through. Um, they're put through um, these tests. Um, they're lords. Mm-hmm. And they complete these three trials, and at the end of it, they become a lord, and then they're given a lady, and the lord loves a lady. Yep, and yeah. then they, you know, they get married. And uh-huh. So anyway, and they do the spice. Yeah, a lot yeah. of spice. A lot of spice. Yeah, and it always starts out the same, where it's usually like a marriage of convenience. We like those. Sure. You know, it's just like this. Yeah. This one was the marriage. Make of, my family rich. No, it's convenience of. Oh, you're a nice piece of ass, and oh. I'm a lord. I can do what I want. I guess that's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. This one was I'm going to marry you for revenge. Okay. And, you know the point of this one was, you know, make everyone believe you're just a slut that I can slut around all the time. But by the end of the book, you know, they always love them. Sure. And they always have to save them from something. I mean, it's not. It wouldn't be good if you were just like, oh, you're just a piece of ass for forever, right? Yeah. That's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts toxic, but then they end up loving each other. But it grows wholesome. It does. Good for them. Yeah, but there's always the spicy spice in between. Oh, yeah, of course. You got to have that spicy spice. Yeah. Would you say what on your Caitlin scale the, of one to five spice, how, how spicy? Oh, this was definitely like it was like a four point five. Whoa, that's uh, that's a uh, that's not a tee kind of spice. That's like a oh my god. Yeah. Somebody give me a an iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a five, but it's not a four. It's kind of right in the middle. It's like yeah, I've I've read darker, but this is right in that line. It was speaking your language. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, all right. What's next? Um, the one before that was uh, G.N. Wright's book, uh, the last one in her series, The Hallowed Crows. Oh, man, G.N. Wright is your favorite. Yeah, it was Disarray. Uh-huh. It was book four of her Hallowed Crows Motorcycle Club. Oh, the Motorcycle Club one. Yeah. Is this the one with the the president? Yes. So, <laughs> tell you all a funny. The other morning, Trevor had to go into work super early. And... <laughs> I don't leave for work until like 7.30. And he was at work at like... I had to be at work by 5.30. Yeah, by 5.30. I got a text at like 6.45. He's like, babe, it's 6.45 and I need you to tell me right now what is the president's cut. (laughs) What's the president's patch? Or what's the president's patch? Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? I immediately knew he was talking about this book. (laughs) And I was pretty sure I knew where he had gotten it because we both follow Gabby. I follow Gabby on Insta. On Instagram, we both follow her. Because uh, because I, I reached out to, to Gabby for uh, some signed book plates for Caitlin. And she was the kindest person I've ever talked to in this romance uh, industry. She was so sweet and so accommodating and i was just blown away by how kind how genuine she was uh so anyway i started following her on insta and uh she posted 
she, she posted. She she posted. So it's a, it's a, a thing for super, all of you. A super naughty little. They give authors like to give blurbs about their books that are upcoming, and sometimes even after the book comes out, it's, it's like a little excerpt or something of, of like a spicy scene. Yeah, there was a, a spicy scene, and then they mentioned a president's patch. <laughs> she, I'm not going to get explicit. Yeah, we're but not going to get explicit. She mentions doing something and then doing something to a pres- president's patch. And I thought, like, what? Uh, this is a term I've never heard in sex before. So what is a president's patch? And I was like, Caitlin, what is this? <laughs> I was like, it's 640 in the morning and I all, have to know. where the hell did you hear this? So he was like, <laughs> on Gabby's Instagram. Now tell me. <laughs> I had to know. I was like, is this like a Brazilian strip? Like, <laughs> no. Is this a new grooming habit? I was like, I it's don't know literally, they wear, they're a motorcycle club. Oh, they wear vests. A, he just has a patch on and his vest. He has vest a patch that literally that says president. identifies him as a president it's like, of this club. Nothing sexy, babe. I thought it was. Weirdo. I thought it was something, something uh, way, way. Sexy. No. It was wrong. I was wrong. It's just. <laughs> just his president's touch. It's just a visual. That's it. Such a weirdo. Yeah. And um, then the one before that, I actually listened to an audiobook at work because it was only like four hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was The Four Leaf by Lee. Uh, I'm going to butcher her last name. Um, Jacquois? Because uh, I know I've heard it pronounced. It's not how it's spelled. I uh, yeah, I don't know. It's spelled J A C Q U O T. Anyway. Yeah. Um. It's not jacket. No, it's not jacket. Jacquel. Don't say that. Jacquel. 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 I don't know. But anyway, that one was about a uh, guy and girl that had been best friends since they were kids and. Uh, those are really good. Is it more like a sweet kind of romance, or oh no, it's no, it's no. super dark. No, it wasn't dark. It was just. Um, it's not sweet. Well, to put it in perspective, he, um, the guy, turns out he is a uh, primal dom. Oh, that's scary. It's not scary. He's into the biting stuff. No, primal is like chasing. Uh, oh, okay. That's weird. That's uh, that's an awkward. That's an awkward first date. No, like so. It's, it's funny. Like as a kid, they used to play hide and seek. Oh, and that. And okay. So they play hide and seek, and he gets a thrill out of finding her. And then they play tag, and he uh-huh. tells her to run. Uh huh. He gets a sexual thrill out of catching her. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of like uh, it's kind of like. Uh, most dangerous game, but for sex. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, so she's been pining after him for years, and she didn't know he was also pining for her. She thought he had friend zoned her. But anyway. Okay. But yeah, it was super spicy. I'm educated now. I did not know what that uh, term meant. Yeah. Clearly. So if I'm I had a very different concept. If I'm ever like concept. Trevor, let's go outside and play chase. No. <laughs> don't rope me into your freaky fantasy you're not into that huh i'm gonna stay here at home i'm gonna hide 
So if I told you that that was something I was into, you'd just be like, no. I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe our marriage has, uh, has traversed. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to get myself a new pair of trainers, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Oh, <laughs> what, would that, what would that world be like? Be like just... Babe, no, not tonight. I still haven't gotten my new trainers. <laughs> I'm not up on my cardio. <laughs> I'm not fit enough. You'd win. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me start the go kart. <laughs> oh. can, can I chase you? We both have sparks. Can we play chase in our cars? <laughs> we start running down the street. The neighbors like, oh no, <laughs> they've all roped us into their fantasy game again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go play tag in the freshly mowed backyard. How's right. that sound? <laughs> All like twelve feet of it. Oh my gosh, what a what a time! What a hey, time. we did play tag at your parents. We other... did, yeah. Yeah, I'm out of shape too. It was. Uh, we almost died. Yeah, we almost. <laughs> and I did not feel sexually aroused. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's mark that one off. The All list. right, okay. Well. <laughs> We tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> just, look, there's a, just a giant list of weird shit. Turns out that's not the one. <laughs> nope. Let's just move on. Next. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I read uh, – I only read three books too. It's been a, a weird, busy kind of uh, interim for us. Um, where I haven't, I feel like I haven't read nearly as much as I normally read. Uh, although I'm, I'm trying to pick up the pace. You're heading to the beach. You're gonna beat me. Oh, I'm gonna take a shit ton of books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. I won't have because I work. I'll Let, be working. Let's all see week. if it gets read though. I might be drinking all day on. Beach. Oh well, there you go. You could always, uh, you could always drink and read. <laughs> I'd read the same sentence fifty times. <laughs> Why can't I finish this fucking page? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I read three books. I read uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. That's one book, not three books named Tomorrow. Um, that's a, that was a joke. That was a joke. People. Yeah. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. This came out last year by uh, or from Knopf. Um, it was it was like the Goodreads choice of the year book from last year. You said you weren't very crazy about it. I wasn't super crazy about it, to be honest. It's about some video game designers who have kind of this will-they-won't-they sort of uh, relationship, a relationship that is not sexual in nature, um, although that's not to say it's not necessarily romantic. It's like the way that they speak to each other is through creating art, and and the art they create is video games. I felt like, I don't know, some of the characters were a little annoying. They were very believable, which I really liked. Clearly, this is a book that is driven by its characters, and I think there were some very strong characters. There are a couple of chapters that try something new stylistically. Um, One of them is it puts you in the seat of a character um, and kind of uh, directly addresses... Well, maybe not directly addresses the audience, but it it feels like maybe a designer talking to an NPC or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. This weird like 
kind of god complex sort of vision or visual. I don't know. It's eh, it, it was weird, uh, experimental, and I don't think it quite landed for me as much. And then there was one that was very immersive. It's like it immerses you in uh, the world of this MMO where two of the characters are talking to each other through their avatars. And um, it it was fine. I don't know. It was it's not a happy book. And I I am kind of like I don't I need something a little bit more uplifting. <laughs> I've had a, a rough couple months emotionally, and I just uh, I don't know. I, I needed something a little bit lighter than what this book brought to the table. Um, I yeah I I didn't I didn't care for it too much. I felt like I've already read this book's dynamic in other places, and that's not necessarily to say like. There's not a space for this book, right? Some people are going to read this book and really connect with it, and that's awesome. Yeah, I just didn't connect with it. Uh, I feel like I'm not really in the stage of my life where I want to see two people not be able to figure out a fucking relationship, you know? Like I'm in the stage of my life where I'm like I want to be seeing healthy and happy relationships, relationships that succeed. And I want to see these people work not to – not get what they want, right? I yeah. want to see them work to to make the relationship that they need. So, um, yeah, it just didn't work for me. I don't know. I gave it like a three stars or something like that. I think that um, I think that the characters are really strong. And don't get me wrong, there's it's 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 totally fine. And and if people are into this, uh, I mean, be into it. That's great. Uh, it just – it wasn't for me. It, it didn't hit me in the season of my life that I needed it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, The Scourge Between Stars by Ness Brown. Uh, this just came out April 4th from Nightfire. Um, this is the space horror book. Uh, it is about a ship captain. Uh, well, she's more like a, a first mate I should say. Um, she's on a, a spaceship that is traveling between two very distant planets um, trying to make her way home with the rest of her crew. And she's just uh, stopped <laughs> kind of with the whole crew by these weird astronomical events. And then as they're trying to figure out whether or not they even have the resources to survive the trip, the trip back to Earth, um, they, uh, they discover that there's uh, uh, an intruder on board the ship. And they got to deal with that intruder. It's very much um, kind of a an alien esque sort of uh, read and experience. Very claustrophobic, but Brown puts an emphasis on some um, minor themes, some other themes that I thought were really, really compelling. Very interesting. One of the things that Brown does is um, they put in. Uh, a, a bit of kind of exploring AI as an emergent technology and thinking about the ethics of trying to humanize an AI figure mm-hmm. in, you know, in a way that maybe is inappropriate. Um, and I find that to be really interesting. Like, you know, the, the, a, a physical construct of a computer person and personality and the weird sexualization that can come with that. It, it's a conversation. It, it opens up a conversation about how we conceive of AI. And 
I th- and and how we personify AI. And it was it was uh, a strange conversation, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a uh, a very compelling. Um, you know, kind of sub-theme in the book. And then, of course, there's uh, conversations, too, about, you know, the way that we use resources and the way we think of resources as ultimately being expendable uh, when maybe they're not. You know, we we have finite resources. So what, what happens when you run out? And so um, those are kind of two ideas that the book tries grappling with around this alien other. And I just, you know... I felt like it was a slam dunk for me. The lead character is a person of color, which I also think just, you know, how many times do I see that in space fiction? Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, I, I really enjoyed this. This was a book that I think hit me the same way that S.A. Barnes' uh, Dead Silence really mm-hmm. did. Um, because that was a, an amazing book for me. Um, just just one of my all-time faves from last year. And uh, I think I felt the same way about this book. I really, really enjoyed it. It, it was um, kind of thought provoking and engaging. I was really invested in you know seeing what happens to these characters, especially because I love creepy aliens on a ship. I mean, you can't go wrong. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool. And then uh, the last book I read was Killer Be Killed by William Sterling. Uh, this came out last year. It's a self-published book. Uh, this is Sterling's um, – he calls it, calls it his non-literary uh, series where he's he's just writing stuff to be you know, kind of pulpy and punky and fun and it's extraordinarily violent, gleefully violent. Um, this is a summer slasher, summer camp slasher. Um, he, he, in fact, he calls it a reverse slasher because uh, it does not go the way you, you expect um, but the the setup is familiar. Uh, I think a, a, a middle age or not a middle aged a middle school girl goes to a summer camp. Um, she's there to you know have a good time, and then the entire summer camp is assaulted by a cult that wants to raise uh, an elder being from the underworld or whatever, and. Uh, and they so they hold a ritual sacrifice that goes wrong, and then uh, it's up to this girl and this girl's father uh, to kind of turn the tides on the cultists. It's a weird book um, in the sense that you know it kind of flips the flips the script on what we kind of know of a camp slasher. It is as gory as they come. Mm-hmm. If you are not. The kind of person who wants to talk about disembowelment and beheadings. Uh, <laughs> Don't read it. <laughs> Don't read it. <laughs> uh, but it was gleefully fun. Um, just a lot of uh, a lot of violence, and I kind of push back on on William a bit um, for calling it a non literary slasher because I think that it actually does have some pretty prominent literary elements with the characters and the character motivations. It's very much about parenthood and. Um, very much about you know what what are you raising you know what are how do your actions impact the, the kind of person that that you want to raise or the next generation you want to see um yeah it's it's a it was a whole lot of fun uh it's a, a pretty short read i feel it it just kind of runs through its paces 
Um, the plot is not super duper complex, but it doesn't need to be because that's not what it's after, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of an homage to the 80s slashers where you just show up to see a bunch of teenagers get dismembered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I do recommend this one um, if you've got, you know, a couple afternoons to kill and you just like, yeah, I want to see some teenagers just get fucked. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun. Um, he's going to be on the show next week. Very excited for that, mm-hmm. um, where he's going to talk about Killer Be Killed. And we're also going to talk about um, his next novel in this series, which is his take on a home invasion story. So mm. I'm pretty excited to talk to him. Um, he's a really fun guy. And I think this is a pretty fun book. So, yeah, that's what yeah. I've been reading. I like it. So our discussion, our book discussion for this week is Heartstopper Volume 2 from Alice mm-hmm. Oseman. Yeah. This is a continuation of her Heartstopper series. Um, we talked about Volume 1 a couple weeks back. If you missed that episode and you want to be in on that conversation, you totally can. Um, but it's I don't know that it's super necessary that you follow up on that conversation. This is uh, a queer coming-of-age romance. Mm-hmm. And it is a graphic novel. In Heartstopper Volume 1, we meet Nick and Charlie. Uh, I always forget who is who. Charlie's the small one, mm-hmm. right? And Nick's the big guy. Yep. Charlie's a nerd. Nick is a jock. Nick's into Charlie, but he's not sure if he's into Charlie because Nick has been or believed himself to be straight for most of his life, whereas Charlie is open, openly out as gay. Nick... Uh, kind of starts feeling he has feelings for Charlie in the first volume and that first volume ends with them sharing a first kiss after which Nick is confused and he is afraid of being discriminated against by his peers and so he leaves Charlie alone at a party and Charlie is heartbroken and runs off. So this new book picks up or the second book picks up right after that, like the night of that party to kind of see the aftermath of their relationship. I don't think we can have a talk about this this graphic novel without spoilers. Nope. So we're just going to launch into spoilers. I'll give you five seconds to back out. Thanks for listening. You can come back later if you want. Yeah, that's good enough, right? Yep. Let's spoil it. So hit me up. What's this What's this volume all about? What's the story? Well, like you said, it picks up directly after uh, that party. Um, I don't know. Like the... <laughs> So Nick Nick and Charlie, you know, they have this kiss. Charlie's devastated because he thinks it means that Nick is not actually into him. Yeah. Nick is really upset because he realizes what he's just done to Charlie, yeah. which is basically, you know, feel like he's leading Charlie on. Yeah. And so Charlie goes home uh, just devastated that he has not, you know, been able to really get a beat on Nick because up until that point, he's under the impression that Nick is straight. And Nick is unsure of his sexual orientation. 
uh, and he realizes he has very strong feelings for Charlie, but he witnessed everything that Charlie went through in the previous year after he came out, and he doesn't want to be the focus of the same kind of bullying. And so unsure of his own sexuality and whether or not he can really come out, he uh, is scared of admitting his feelings in public to Charlie. And no, so, but you can't forget the next morning he comes over. He does come over to apologize. And, and he says – They kiss again. They they kiss again and he basically says, look, it's not you. It's me. I'm very confused right now. I don't know what I'm feeling. But what I'm feeling is that I really like you and I want to be with you. And, and but so, he does ask him, you know, can we keep this secret right. for the moment? Can we keep a secret? And so it begins this secret romance between Nick and Charlie where they're sneaking off and they're making out sometimes and they're they're going around everybody's backs to try to be together. And um, Charlie – breaks my heart for Charlie again. Because, yeah, because Charlie knows that Nick needs to come into it on his own time. But he's also like – I don't know. He's upset because like Nick doesn't know how to navigate this sphere and he's vulnerable there. Right. So he's in this relationship and the right thing to do is to admit to it because I think he puts Charlie through quite a bit. But he's also going through his own stuff. Right. And I think Charlie is patient enough to recognize that Nick needs to be able to do it on his own time. Yeah, but Nick is still hanging out with his dickwad friends that are, you know, bullying Charlie. There there is a scene where Nick uh, goes in on a guy for saying some shit. Yeah, that's kind of t- towards the end of uh, volume two. But like there at the beginning, um, he, you know, he's like, can we keep this on the down low? And he's still trying to spend time with him at school. So they're mm-hmm. having, you know, private lunches and, you know, they're still on the rugby team together. And, <clears throat> you know, I remember the one scene where they have a rugby match and... Um, Charlie invites his friend friends to come watch, and he's kind of being his mm-hmm. over the top, not over the top, but his just bubbly self, and trying to not make it seem like they're a thing in front of his friends. And he, I remember, he later apologizes to Nick, like "I'm sorry if I was too clingy," and right. it just it broke my heart for him that he doesn't feel like he can be his genuine self because they're hiding. Right. And and I think that this is the overarching uh, kind of story, the theme of this, this uh, volume, right, is um, kind of the, the, the emotional weight, the emotional damage that comes from having to live in secret. Because yeah. Nick feels like he can't tell his family, he can't tell anybody. And there's a very... There's a very tender moment when Nick finally decides to tell his mother that he's seeing a boy. And his mother very graciously accepts that of him. And it's it's very sweet. It's kind of funny. Um, But but there's this moment when the the question hangs out in front of the parent, because that's a very dangerous moment for a lot of queer kids. Very vulnerable. Yeah. Very vulnerable. Well, I say vulnerable and dangerous because yeah. not all parents are like Nick's mother, who I think is the model of how it should be handled, right? Nick admits it and his mother is like, good for you. I'm really glad that he makes you that happy. He still can't come on your vacation. <laughs> we're right? still not inviting him. <laughs> we're not, yeah, we're not paying for him to come on vacation. Um, 
which I think is, you know, that's kind of the joke. It's the, the cute thing because she's kind of like, um, if you're going to ask if he can come, the answer is no because we don't have the money <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, that's not what I was going to ask you. What I was going to tell you is like, you know, he and I are, he's my boyfriend. And she's like, that's so sweet. He's still not coming on this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was was very funny. Um, but like that's kind of best case scenario, right? Best case yeah. scenario is you have some parents who are really like, good for you. I'm glad you found someone. Uh, because that's not always the case. No. Uh, you know? And, and I think that um, rather unfortunately there are a lot of parents who handle that very poorly. I will say even – I'm straight. And uh, even my parents – um gosh they they pulled some some shit that was really devastating to me uh as I started dating girls cuz they would meet a girl and my mother would very purposefully exclude that uh we were in any kind of an amorous relationship when talking about her to uh, her friends and and then this is like the weird parent shit right because it when they do that sort of thing, when they say like, oh, this is Trevor and his friend, it's like you're delegitimizing my romantic choice here. You're telling me that my my romantic partner is not uh, acceptable to you. And I don't care whether or not you actually like my romantic partner or not. I just think it's some out-of-pocket shit, you know, to tell your kid or, or to say that in front of your kid. And uh, and and have that hang over them, you know, the very implicit uh, uh, suggestion that they don't approve and, and they're not interested in supporting you through that relationship. I was there one time when she said that. Oh, she definitely said that about you a couple of times. Not to not to create animosity between you and my mother. But, no, I I remember that distinctly when they were still going to church in Topeka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd been seeing each other for a while. Yeah. In fact, I don't. I, I'm. I. To be kind of honest, I don't know how much she accepted that we were going to get married, even, even uh, up until the wedding. I mean, it was like <clears throat> that's that's some hurtful stuff, yeah. you know. That stings quite a bit. And and I think that uh, you know she did that. She did that with all but one of my girlfriends. Because I've I've called her out on on some shit. Hmm. Like I've had to call her out on on uh, her her queer stances, and I I, t- I told her I'm in a queer romance. Hmm. I, I'm in a queer uh, relationship. And the stuff that you say are things that you say about my wife and about me, you know. Because again, I I identify as straight, but I I don't have a straight relationship. I don't have. I mean, I I, I our relationship is not heteronormative. You know what I mean? We are in a queer relationship, and that shapes the the world we we live in. Yeah. So you know, when my mother says some stuff, because she'll say some stuff. It's really out of pocket. And I, I don't want to – I'm not trying to malign my mother here. Uh, but she'll say some stuff that is, you know, pretty out of pocket. And, and I have to call her on it and say, you know, I, I think you need to reconsider that stance because what you're, what you're doing is violence to me and my family. 
That it's it's just that's a tough road. So I read I read a story like this. I read a story like Heartstopper Volume Two. Nick coming out to his parents, and I think, gosh, how different could life be? How different could my relationship with you be? If um, and and you know your relationship to my parents or vice versa. Well, I could tell you my if they coming out were just story. so accepting. My coming out story to my mother wasn't that easy. It it also wasn't was it it was fairly recently. Oh yeah, it was like in the last two years. Yeah. I, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but no, it wasn't. You know, it's not anything. You know that I can't share. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. Like she had an idea because. Um, trigger warning for anybody listening. Um, suicide talk. <laughs> uh, in high school, I was seriously depressed. And very suicidal. And that was the first hint I had given her. Um, you know. And I don't know exactly what started the depression as a teenager in high school. But sometimes it just, it's just hormones. Sometimes it's just that, yeah. But I do remember having a conversation with her one day about, you know, worrying that I would just be better off. Because I know she wouldn't accept me for who I was. Mm. Um and that I had been with girls. Um, yeah. And I knew that I liked girls. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't didn't know at the time if she was just saying what she said to keep me from jumping the ledge, you know. Because parents mm-hmm. will say what they need to say at the time. Yeah. Sometimes. They Sometimes. Um, but now I know, you know, after the conversations we've had, and we've had many conversations since. But I, I believe her. You know, when she says that, you know, I will always love you. I may not accept it. You know, I will never condone it and say that it's that it's not a sin in my my beliefs, in my eyes. Mm. But I will never cast you out. You know, I would never say you're not welcome. You know, if you were to be with a woman, you would always be welcome with her in my home. I would always feed you and clothe you and and whatnot. Mm. Um, so that's pretty much how that conversation went, but, you know, I didn't come out till, you know, I was like 31, 32 because I was so scared of the shame and yeah, it just, I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't want to lose my mother. So I just hit it. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but I never, I was never forced out. Right. I was never in a relationship right. with a woman. You know, I came close a time or two. Yeah. You know, before you and I met. Right. But nothing ever became of it. And that I kind of, there were times I've been like, oh, I got lucky. You know, because then I also, I never had to come out to my family. Right. Right. You could kind of hold that back. But I just kind of felt like it was time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Choosing when you come out and to whom you come out uh, is so important. And, and gosh, it's such a dice roll, especially in our American culture that is so <laughs> anti-gay. I mean, as much as we talk about the strides, the real strides that the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ community I, – I messed up that acronym. Who cares? Um, 
you know, they've made great strides in acceptance, but that doesn't mean that any of that is widely accepted, especially here in the South, where it's like, you know, you might have a little pocket of people who are a lot more progressive, like here in Northwest Arkansas, but the rest of the state is actively anti-LGBTQ, actively. We've got a, a governor right now who's working her hardest to ensure that we are not allowed to to have these materials in and they'll pass it libraries. Like, don't say yay. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, we do not live in a moment when you can just come out and have people be happy for you. You know, that that's the experience of some, and I'm so happy for them. You know, but there are so many others. Like you, like me, <laughs> that have struggled to try to figure out how to navigate this, um, these relationships and navigate a world where, you know, you have to be careful about who you talk to or who knows. Yep. You know, because um, I know you've, you've been, like you say, you've been out for, for two years semi-publicly, you know, just kind of hoping that. Your your, the rest of your family doesn't come across, you know, some of these conversations and these materials. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I, um, I think about that that moment in the story and and just the impact that that image can have and how many kids out there need to see that even if that is not going to be their situation, you know? Yeah. And I think it's terrifying anyway. So having having someone somewhere understand and be able to represent that difficulty, you know, represent that conflict, um, I think it's super important. Anyway, so this, the, the rest of this story is that Nick eventually does come out. Um, after a confrontation with his friends, uh, and he realizes he's he's different, right? Like he realizes that that the life that he's been living is not necessarily who he is now as he grows and matures. And as part of that, um, he realizes that his friends are toxic, their ideas are toxic, that he doesn't want to be around people who can't support that he's in a relationship with a boy. And so instead he joins Charlie's friend group and they begin to grow together and the relationship that Nick and Charlie have deepens um, on account of Nick finally kind of understanding himself. There's, but there's so much com- confusion on Nick's part before he gets there and there's so much difficulty on Charlie's part as he waits for Nick to figure himself out. And I think yep. that it's kind of wonderful to see their relationship pan out the way that it does because, yes, you see the emotional strain there, but they do choose each other and it does work out. I want to clarify, he comes out as bi. Correct. He comes out as bi. Yeah. Charlie's still gay, but it doesn't matter. They have each other, right? Yeah. Um, same beautiful artwork, same expressive uh, work. I felt like uh, her layouts were a little bit better in this book. I didn't find so many layouts that were like really distracting. <laughs> I felt like this one flowed a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that 
you know, I'm really looking forward to volumes three and four uh, to kind of see the progression of Alice's art and kind of how she has a handle on this stuff. Um, I felt like this was a good second chapter. I think we got a lot more of the same from the first, a lot more of the cute. Um, But a deepening of that emotional through line of, you know, kind of the difficulty of coming out. And I think that that was really the focus, you know, the focus of this story and some of its sub themes really are all about uh, coming out and coming into oneself and how hard a process that can be, Um, but how important and how liberating that process ultimately is. Yeah. It just keeps getting a little bit tougher. I'm trying to think the next volume has a little bit darker of a theme. Mm. But it's an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next volume for sure. I mean, this was another five-star read. Um, I uh, This series has really sold me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard uh, the Heartstopper train. I really think that this is a, a positive portrayal of queer relationships. Um, and it is, uh, you know, as heavy as some of the topics can be, I, I think it treats it with enough levity that it doesn't get bogged down in its uh, sadness or, you know, it doesn't get bogged. It doesn't lose sight of the fact that this is a happy ending story, right, where we know the characters are going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good reflection. Thank you for being vulnerable. Always. That's uh, hard to do. And sorry to mom if I make you sound like a monster. You're not a monster. <laughs> no, definitely uh, just, not. Uh, just an, a flawed human being like so many flawed human beings who are, you know, who really just need to be challenged on what they think. Because my mother, my parents are not bad people. No. They're just a different generation who do not understand the real impact that their attitudes can have on people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think your mother's a bad person either, by the way. No. You know, I, th- I think she's very much like my parents. We're just just differing, differing viewpoints, d- different upbringings. Yep. And and pushing, I will say, pushing back on my mom has uh, has helped a little bit. I'm not going to say that she's you know joining a pride parade next year, but <laughs> yeah, at, at the very least, she's either, but... uh, she's kind of slowed down on some of the bullshit. Because I'll call, I'm, I'm like, I'll call you out. Like, I'm going to tell you right now why you're wrong. Um, I think that's necessary. I think it's necessary to call out our loved ones when they get it wrong. Yep. Yeah. Yep, it definitely is. Parting shots. I'm looking forward to going to the beach. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that beach. I will. You are beach body ready. I don't know about that, but... No, you're beach body ready. What I'm saying is you're hot. Well, I appreciate that. Okay, all right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, everybody.